As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the In Session Film Podcast. Welcome to this week's extra film segment for April 27th, 2016. And I am still tired and exhausted from this past weekend, and I'm also Brendan Cassidy. And I am recovering from a fever, and I am Maddie Neggs. Sounds like we're all recovering from something these days. Uh, maybe something's going around. But anyway, thanks for joining us this week, everyone. For those not familiar with our extra film segment, this is a chance where we get to talk about some of the smaller films, independent films, art house films, and maybe even some of the classics that we just don't get a chance to talk about on the main show. And we've got a few smaller, newer independent films to talk about this week, which I'm looking forward to. Before we get going, though, I want to toss something over to you, Negs. First, I just want to say huge thank you to for filling in for me on the main show this past week and where you guys talked about Richard Linklater's Everybody Wants Some. Sorry I couldn't be there, but from what I've been listening to, sounded like a really hell of a fun show you guys had. Yeah, no, it was a blast. I had a great time discussing that film. I think Richard Linklater's uh, body of work usually lends itself well to discussion. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there was no short of supply on this, especially when we started also talking about our top three favorite Richard Linklater characters, which was a lot of fun as well. Yeah. And I was I was I was, you know, listening to that and reading through your top threes that you uh, that all three of you guys in the show actually put together. And I'm kind of glad I wasn't there because if it was you, myself and JD, we all probably would have done the same thing and limiting both. uh uh, Celine, as well as Ethan Hawke's character from the Before Trilogy, off as part of our criteria, because I would have done the same thing. I just, that's too easy for me. Agreed. Way, yeah, way too easy for me, And because I don't know about you, I know JD and I share this opinion, the Before Trilogy is probably my favorite trilogy of all time, and just, that I, I just, it's, it was interesting to see that kind of correlation that we probably potentially would have had if all three of us were there, so maybe for the best. I avoided that one, but it was it, I, it was still great to listen to. I'm kind of sad that I got a chance to miss it, but I will be planning on releasing some bonus content with JD just to get my thoughts when I finally see Everybody Wants Some, which I'm very much looking forward to. Uh, because as I mentioned, I wasn't around this past weekend. This is kind of a fun story I wanted to share with a little bit. Um, I went back to Pennsylvania to go to my alma mater at Penn State to get together with some fellow alumni that I graduated with. And basically, these were some friends that 
we uh, that, that we all sang in an acapella group together, and the cur- the current members of that acapella group had their semester concert this weekend. So we all decided to go back as supporting alumni and everything like that. Where if when all of us get together, it's it leads to us making very childish immature and very unhealthy decisions <laughs> but it was very very much worth it and what's even funny is because the amount of driving that i had to do for this entire trip is the reason why i am still tired and exhausted because that tires you out that absolutely tires you out more than you'd be willing to admit because i had to drive to pittsburgh first which is about six hours from kentucky to meet my friend who we actually went to go to a concert in philadelphia he and I went to see a band that we used to grow up loving called Dream Theater. I'm not sure. If oh you know. yeah, I know Dream uh, Theater. <laughs> you know Dream Theater, yeah. So they're they're kind of a childhood favorite of mine, more nostalgic right now. I don't listen to them as much anymore. But we met up with another friend in Philadelphia who had just gotten into them, and he wanted all three of us to go together to see them in Philly, which we did. So that was another six hour drive. Then we drove to Penn State the next day, which was about four hours. And then we had the whole party and everything there. Then we drove back to Pittsburgh to get him home, which is about maybe another three hours. Then I drove back from Pittsburgh back to Kentucky to get home, which is another six hours. So that's about 24 hours of driving that was part of this trip, which is, man. I'm sure that you listened to all your podcasts, got them all out of the way. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I did that much homework, unfortunately. <laughs> But it was still fun. My, my friend that I met in Pittsburgh is a big music guy as well, so it basically resulted us listening to a lot of different types of music and kind of going back and forth and sharing some new things with each other, which is always fun to do. So that so it was worth it in the long run, despite all the driving, and my car was able to take it, which was great. But just wanted to share that because it was kind of a fun story, and I'm glad I had the chance to do that. But anyway, we've got some movies to talk about this week. For this week's extra film, I'm kind of looking forward to this. We've got some some smaller, newer films to talk about. The first half of the show, we'll be talking about the latest film called Elvis and Nixon, starring Michael Shannon and Kevin Spacey as Elvis Presley and Richard Nixon, respectively. Looks like a fun one to talk about. And for the second half of the show, we'll talk about a very small kind of art house thriller slash horror film called The Invitation, which has been getting some pretty decent reviews. It was released earlier this month, I believe, in a few theaters, and it's also been playing on Amazon on demand or just on demand as well as amazon vod as well for you guys to check out so we've got some pretty good ones to talk about i look forward to getting into this neg so without further ado let's get into it and here we go listening to the In Session Film Podcast Extra Film segment, Negs, 
From 12.05 to 1.05, you have your open hour, at the end of which I thought it would be a good time for you to have your meeting with Mr. Spacey. Spacey? Kevin Spacey? Yes, sir. The actor. Who the f*** set this up? From 11.40 to 12.05, you have a meeting in the Grand Hall to receive diplomatic credentials from the ambassadors of the Dominican Republic and Zambia. Do they speak any English? I believe so. Oh, good. I hate it when they don't even try. You know, whenever I go to a foreign country, I always try to learn some phrases, you know, gives me an edge with the people of that country. You know, shows I did my homework, shows I care. Some people come right in here, no effort, no effort whatsoever. Not in their national character. Why, they'll never be superpowers like us. From 12.05 to 105, you have your open hour, at the end of which we thought would be a good time to have your meeting with Mr. Presley. From 110 to 130, you have an informal meet and greet with 150 or so White House volunteers in the state dining Elvis, room. Elvis Presley. Yes, sir. The entertainer. Oh, I know who Elvis Presley is, yes. Who the f*** set this up? All right, so Elvis and Nixon stars Michael Shannon as the king of rock and roll and Kevin Spacey as President Nixon and also stars Alex Pettifer, Johnny Knoxville, Colin Hanks, Evan Peters, and a few other people as well. If you haven't heard of this film, it basically tells the, the quote-unquote untold true story behind the meeting between the king of rock and roll and President Nixon. That was kind of forced upon by the king of rock and roll himself he had some pretty interesting reasons as to why he wanted to get this meeting set up with president nixon uh there's a little bit more to it than that this was obviously a true story and we'll get into it so i'll toss it to you first negs what did you think about elvis and nixon uh unremarkable <laughs> i'll just go right out and say there. It. i i mean it really it really is because uh first of all the elephant in the room here is that one, the film mostly focuses on Elvis more so than uh, President Richard Nixon. Mm-hmm. I-, I thought this was going to be a two hander film where it would bounce back and forth between the two. But for the first two thirds of the film, it's pretty much other than one scene with Spacey. It's all Michael Shannon. Yeah. And I- I'm surprised that, um, he doesn't necessarily. I don't think he has top billing in this. I think Spacey does, uh, from what I could tell. Mm. I don't know. Who cares, really? Either way, <laughs> this is Michael Shannon's movie. But the fatal, fatal flaw of this film is that they they cast Shannon because Shannon has that ability to emote so much. He's a, he's an incredible actor, and he could do so much with so little. Yeah, but he is not a good casting decision here as Elvis mm. Presley. He doesn't look anything like the guy, doesn't sound anything like the guy. And y- you know what? Call me hypocritical because there have been other films where people were cast as certain historical figures and didn't look nor sound like them. I think mm-hmm. one that always comes to mind is Frank Langella as uh, uh, Nixon and Frost Nixon. Yes. But that was a really, really fantastic performance on Frank Langella's part. And I just think Michael Shannon is okay here, where I was hoping that he would deliver something truly unique and special that would really transcend the role. And I didn't quite get that here from him. Mm. So that part of it took me out of the film. And then Kevin Spacey as President Richard Nixon, the guy is already President Frank Underwood in my eyes. (laughs) So telling me that he's playing another president here, it just doesn't... Uh, I have I have trouble separating that. It, it just seems like stunt casting. 
Um, mm. And then when the two finally do meet one another, um, that's the moment in the film that you are waiting for because you just want to see Shannon and Spacey act against one another. And yeah. yes, the film does pick up in terms of its energy because before all of that, Shannon's scenes get a couple of good laughs along the way, but I mean, for the most part, this film is not fireworks. It mostly just sizzles out. It's kind of interesting because this is really more of a procedural film when you think about it. The process of trying to get Elvis Presley to get this meeting set up with Richard Nixon, and a lot of it is really leading up to that, that meeting that we're talking about. And the meeting that happens in this film is maybe, of the 86 minutes of this film, maybe about... 15 minutes of it at best uh and and but the thing you know this is a true story i'm not sure how much of actual time was spent between these two people in real life actually talking during this meeting now if it was maybe potentially the length of a full-length film then i do think that you make a good point that this movie probably would have benefited more by having more time set between these two people actually talking Elvis and Richard Nixon specifically it kind of would have maybe had a bit of like a like a my dinner with Andre kind of feel to it I don't know if you've seen that movie yeah, but it, I would have yeah. preferred to see it play out as almost like a stage play if anything absolutely but instead they kind of play it like it's a sketch comedy and the movie is a comedy but for a movie that is also a true story like this I feel like that's where the movie really starts to lose focus and also lose a sense of its authenticity that I think it really should be retaining because a lot of what you said I completely agree with I think unremarkable is pretty much the best word to describe this this is not a terrible film no, by any it's means not. yeah but it's but for how for casting someone like Michael Shannon and Kevin Spacey in a movie together and to have it as unremarkable and as kind of stale as it is is kind of a disappointment and like a lot of the like a lot of biopics and historical films that We've talked about on this show, especially myself and JD in the past, we always talk about how a lot of these films just have this lack of focus or a lack of an authenticity and respect for its source material. And I feel like that this is another example of that. And I think probably one of the biggest reasons is you're right that it does focus on the Elvis Presley character much more than it does the Richard Nixon character. And I, I, unfortunately, I have to agree with you that Michael Shannon is just, he's not that great in this film. And I feel like he, for a film that is trying to have some fun, I don't think he's having enough fun in his role, which I, I think is kind of the opposite with Richard Nixon or Kevin Spacey's Richard Nixon, who I think is almost having too much fun in the role that he almost yeah. comes off as kind of a caricature. And and that makes the impact of these two finally getting a chance to meet and talk, it makes that impact that much more, just that much less of an impact, I guess. It's just, it's just not quite there as I think it should be. And going back to saying that this film kind of has a lack of focus, I think the most interesting moments of this film, at least the film that we were given, the stuff that I thought was most interesting, was some of the story arcs regarding the Alex Pettifer character who plays Jerry, and even the Colin Hanks character who plays Crow. Like, I, I almost started to think that maybe this movie should have had its main characters be the people we don't know who they are and their interactions and their reactions to these two people getting together because some of that stuff and watching the Jerry character trying to have to balance his personal life uh, with his girlfriend and meeting his girlfriend's parents trying, but also trying to balance his PR life and friendship that he has with Elvis Presley. While a lot of those moments were unearned in the long run because yeah. there just wasn't enough time focused on them, 
that was the stuff that I personally kind of wanted to see more of because I found that the most interesting as far as how they introduced it. But again, kind of a lack of focus in, of this film just made it that much more unremarkable in the long run. And I think that's kind of the best word to put it because also in the long run, unlike a lot of good historical films, I'm not terribly sure why this film was even made or told to begin with. Yes. Uh, unlike unlike a lot of these other biopics that we've talked about, we talk about it being a story that is worth telling. I'm not sure I can make that argument for this film. I think enough of the material that we're given in this film, you could have read in a very small paragraph of a textbook and have gotten the same impact out of it. And that's, again, another major disappointment I have to say about this film. So lack of focus, it's unremarkability, uh, some very odd casting that's either over the top or not over the top enough, and just a lack of focus make this a very disappointing experience. Now, let's just reiterate something here. Um, this is mm -hmm. not a terrible film. Because Absolutely I know, not. I know the way that it may sound. It may sound like we're painting this film in a really really terrible light here I, I i did have a sense of fun with it when the film uh hit those comedic beats and there are moments where it certainly does sure. uh, i definitely think that what you're talking about in terms of the side characters um having a more interesting angle here i completely agree with you so much so that when that element of um the Alex uh, Pettifer character who plays Jerry Schilling was introduced into mm -hmm. the film. I myself was like, I, I wish that the film had focused on this more so that this way I could care more because mm -hmm. I want to care. And that was the impulse I was feeling is that I really did want to care about this, but because the film didn't do a good job of setting it up and was too focused on uh, Michael Shannon's portrayal of Elvis mostly, yeah, I, I didn't have the emotional connection that I think I was supposed to feel. Now, going into focus here, you know, we talk about isolated incidences in history and how those usually make for better biopics, better historical retellings, as opposed to doing like a greatest hits compilation. And that mm -hmm. this film certainly does that. Where yeah. the film does succeed is, I think, in its theme, but it doesn't succeed in making it a resonating theme that is something I will go back and ever rewatch. And the theme mm -hmm. of this film is the nature of celebrity. Yes. And how when Elvis, everywhere he goes, he's the most recognizable celebrity on earth. Women swoon over him. Men want to be him. They mm -hmm. idolize him. And even there's a moment in the film where Michael Shannon is practicing uh speaking to the president in front of a mirror before he meets him so you know he too is starstruck that oh my gosh like i'm about to meet the president i better make yeah. sure i know like how to present myself i liked that the film played with that theme it it just felt like it didn't go as far with it as it necessarily should have and mm -hmm. I think a lot of that I have to just chalk up to the screenplay on how much of a missed opportunity it is in how it does not expand upon and perhaps even fictionalize what these two characters were talking about more. Because mm -hmm. while I probably have no doubt that what they were talking about was really the truth, the truth wasn't really all that interesting. And yeah. the trailers and such made it appear oh, get the real story behind the meeting of these two figures. And it's like, oh, great. I actually can't wait to see that. I can't wait to see 
Kevin Spacey and Michael Shannon share scenes together and yeah. have interesting dialogue exchanges. And they end up talking about what Elvis getting a badge. They talk about family. It's, the Beatles. Just, yeah. They talk about, uh, yeah, it, it just wasn't exactly what I was expecting. And when it was all over, I just had this sense of meh. Yeah, yeah, and I think you actually make a pretty interesting point. I understand that this is a history film. It's a, well, not directly history film. I mean, it is partly a comedy as well. They're definitely having some fun with the history depicted on screen. But I think that with the tone that it was going for, I think it would have been acceptable if they did take some liberties to fictionalize parts of it and make it a bit more interesting while still retaining the historical backdrop of what was driving this uh, this this meeting and this depiction that we're seeing on screen, especially in those notions of celebrity that you're talking about, which I do agree is more is mostly the most prevalent theme here. And I do think that there are interesting parallels to that theme of celebrity as well as being respectable as a political figure from the Richard Nixon side. And I think one of my favorite moments in the film, and coincidentally one of the one of, one of the moments I think is one of the funniest moments in the film, it doesn't even feature Michael Shannon or Kevin Spacey, but it's a meeting that Colin Hanks and Evan Peters as, as Chaplin have with the Tate Donovan character of Halderman where they're actually explaining why this would be a good opportunity for Richard Nixon to meet up with a celebrity like Elvis Presley because it would boost potential votes in the southern region, which is the demographic that they are trying to target. And I think that has a lot of interesting things that it brings up that's trying to bridge that gap between uh, political figure and celebrity, but in the right way. And it also leads to a very funny exchange that Tate Donovan's character has at the end when he just suddenly approves of that meeting, which I thought was pretty well handled. Hmm. And and I also think that even the the banter between Colin Hanks and Evan Peters is some of the funniest moments of the film, and that's also why I think some of those characters, I think, could have potentially been the stars of this movie and just have them kind of be like the audience and overseeing the situation so we can kind of relate to, to the situation even more. And I think it would have made those notions of celebrity that you're talking about feel a bit more prevalent, a bit more earned and even more important and impactful in the long run. And I think that's another thing that this film was sorely missing. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just, it, it feels to me like it was a wasted opportunity and just a complete misfire all around. I could see mm -hmm. why people would want to be interested in being in this film. I could see what attracted Kevin Spacey and Michael Shannon to the roles here, but you need to look no further than the scene where Shannon's in the airport and two Elvis impersonators come up to him and yeah. they are acting like Elvis Presley. They sound like mm -hmm. Elvis Presley. They look like Elvis Presley. And the one guy in that scene who looks nothing like Elvis Presley and, and sounds nothing like Elvis Presley is supposed to be Elvis Presley. So mm -hmm. and that, that scene to me was actually one of the funniest scenes in the whole film because of how unintentionally funny it was for me. There's <laughs> an interesting irony there, yeah. But it, do, it does make an interesting uh, juxtaposition to how Michael Shannon is portraying this character. Now, and, I, and I get the subdued nature that they're trying to show a different side of the real person of sure. Elvis Presley. But at the same time, there has to be a sort of believability to the main person. And I think when you threw out the comparison of Franklin Jella when he played Richard Nixon, 
He didn't sound much like him. Nope. He didn't look much like him either. Yet I believe that that was Richard Nixon. I think Frost Nixon is a very underrated film in general, but Agreed. I still believe that he was playing Richard Nixon, even despite those similarities not really being there. And that's something that I don't think Michael Shannon was just able to really bring to this character. And that's it's, it's a very challenging thing for an actor to do. When you play a real-life figure, you don't look or sound anything like him, and yet you can still make the audience believe that you are still that person. And that's what I think both Michael Shannon and even Kevin Spacey just kind of failed to do here. And like I said, I do think it is trying to be like a sketch comedy. Uh, yeah. I think that is its intention. I just don't think that was the right intention for a film that is trying to use history as a very important means to back it up, which that juxtaposition just made it feel more jarring than it was reasonable in the long run. For the sake of time, let's get to final thoughts and grades. So I'll toss to you first, man. Any final thoughts and what grade would you give Elvis and Nixon? I do also, you know, think that with this film, it just, ah, man, I... I just wish I like I, I just wish there was something else to it. I, I it's missing that one key component that just made it all worth it. Even if it had no replay value and mm -hmm. I was only gonna see it once and never see it again. Just give me some reason as to why this film needed to exist. And yeah. Ah man. So it I, I'm really stuck here because I don't want to go super, super low with my rating necessarily, but I'm going to have to. I, 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 man, you know what? I want to be a little bit more kind, though, at the same time. Uh, let's go with a either, let's go with a C minus D plus, D plus, mm. D plus. I'm I'm going lower. <laughs> You're you are gonna go a little lower than I am, even though we're definitely almost exactly on the same page with this film. And I guess the reason why I'll still go a little bit higher is going back to some of those the, those supporting characters that we were talking about, like uh, the Jerry the Jerry character played by Alex Pettifer, and then you got Colin Hanks and Evan Peters. In yeah, this but film. they're not I think fleshed out. They're not, but the the moments that they do work for me are enough to, I guess, elevate my grade from like C minus to C range. I mean, that's basically the best I'm gonna say oh, about okay. it because it's it's a very minimal backup. And and something else you're talking about that I also want to touch on is that. I really think it's the script that's the biggest problem here. And there are three people who were co-writing on this film. It was uh, Joe, Joe Segal and, and Hanala Segal. I'm guessing they're related in some way. I'm not sure. But then you also have someone like Carrie Yules, the actor who was one of the co-writers on this film. And he was also a producer on this film. So we might see we might see someone like him uh, getting into filmmaking in the future. But it just might, it just sounds like it was a case of maybe too many cooks in the kitchen that just couldn't quite get a consistent grasp on this story to really have a proper focus onto it. And I personally would have liked to see more of the supporting cast take more ownership and become more of a lead role here. We could have potentially had more relatability to this story. We could have, watching it from a distance like they were, I think would have had the story more relatable to the audience. And that's another thing I think this film was missing, was just allowing the audience to find their, themselves kind of immersed and interested in this story, and I don't think the film really takes those ownerships in that. So, as I kind of already alluded to, I'd probably give this a C. I, it's definitely not a terrible film, uh, but I can't. I just can't quite recommend it. And for the talent that is involved, at least from an acting perspective, it's, it's definitely a letdown and a missed opportunity. And the last thing I'll say is, 
I don't know what Johnny Knoxville was even doing in this movie other than the fact that his character is a real character. That's really the—a real person, rather. That's really the only reason why I could denote why he was potentially in this movie. I, I know why he that. was in this film. He uh, auditioned for the role of Elvis Presley, and he didn't get it. And so they wanted to put him in the movie <laughs> yeah, somewhere. But- is that true? Are you or are you making that up? No, I'm making it up. I, I'm okay, because because that's the thing. I would not I would not be surprised by that. That actually sounds legit. <laughs> oh, I, I think it totally could could be. You know, they see him audition for Elvis, and they say, "We don't think you're right for Elvis, but we'd like you to play." It, it happens all the time. Yeah. And quite honestly, when I look at Johnny Knoxville, I just see the black hair, and I go, "Okay, Elvis." You know, I mean, because that's apparently yeah. what the producers on this film did with Shannon. They probably did, yeah. And I wouldn't, I'm, I'm going to have to go through the trivia on IMDb to see if that is the case. I do know that Eric Bana was originally cast as Elvis Presley, but he dropped out. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I, haven't, I haven't seen a whole lot of Eric Bana, at least recently, but he's someone I wouldn't be opposed to seeing in that role. I think I could potentially have seen him in that. But anyway, we've obviously given our thoughts on this film, and we'll have some more thoughts when we write a full review of this, which you'll be able to find on our website at InSessionFilm.com. Yeah, and if you agree or disagree with our takes, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash InSessionFilm or tweet us at InSessionFilm. You can also leave us a comment on our Google Plus page or email us at InSessionFilm at gmail.com. All right, coming up next for the second half of the show, myself and Eggs are going to continue this conversation by talking about... Uh, a bit a bit of an uncomfortable film and we'll try our best to make it as as uh, seamless as possible we'll be talking about the independent horror thriller called the invitation which should be interesting so stay tuned everyone we'll be right back This week's extra film is brought to you by the True Bromance Film Podcast. This podcast is hosted by our good friends Hiro and Barry, and these two have incredible chemistry together. Their banter is awesome, their film knowledge is also quite spectacular as well, and it's an absolute joy just to listen to these guys talk movies, and I'm sure you will have a great time listening to them as well. Every week they'll review a new main release that has just come out and they'll also have a top five section that relates back to that main review, kind of like a good cop, bad cop, or a best and worst kind of thing. It's a really great time and they'll also talk about some of the other films that they've seen recently. So if you love movies and want to just hear two people talk about movies, this podcast is definitely up your alley. You could subscribe to them on iTunes as well as all other podcast platforms or you can search for them on social media by simply searching for True Bromance Film. Uh, tell them we sent you. It's absolutely worth your time, I promise. That's True Bromance Film Podcast.
My name is Dustin. And my name is Jessica. And together we produce Popcorn Poops, the best married couple movie commentary track podcast on the internet. Join us each week as we take turns picking films and then watch and discuss them together. If you're at home or with a computer or device, you can sync up the movie and watch it right along with us. However, you don't have to sync up the film to enjoy the show. Feel free to tune in like you would to any other podcast. Please visit us on the internet at www.popcornpoops.com. Again, that's www.popcornpoops.com. You're listening to the In Session Film Podcast Extra Film. Has he always been like this, Brendan? So agitated? Dude. Don't talk about JD that way. Has he been like this a lot? So agitated. Sometimes. Well, I'm glad he has you. It comforts me. I know he wants the best for you, too. I'm glad you're here, Kira. I think it's important. Can I ask you something? How has he been handling things? He can be self-destructive. I think he's doing the best he can. All right, so this is The Invitation. It is directed by Karen Kusama, written by Phil Hay, Matt Manfredi, and starring Logan Marshall Green, Tammy Blanchard, Mikael Huisman, Amayatsi Cornialdi, Lindsay Burge, Mike Doyle, Jay Larson, and John Carroll Lynch. Mm-hmm. Can't forget John Carroll Lynch. JCL, man. I, I, it was mm-hmm. funny. There was a moment where he popped up on screen. Now, mind you, I walked into this movie completely cold. And when Susie popped yeah. on, I was like, oh, that's John Carroll Lynch. He's in this. I'd like the Zodiac. Out. The Zodiac. <laughs> that was the first thing I ever saw him in, but I've loved him ever since. I, I, he, he's a, such a fantastic actor, but we'll get more into him later. Fargo for me, actually, was the first. Oh, thing I ever another saw good him. one. Yeah. 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 Okay. So anyway, the invitation here, going back around to that, um, this film. I mean, I guess the plot premise, the best way to set this up is Will and his new girlfriend Kira are driving through the Hollywood Hills uh, to the home of Will's ex-wife, Eden, mm-hmm. and um, her new husband, David, and they're hosting a very nice dinner party for their very good friends who they have not seen in about two years' time. Mm-hmm. Will has uh, some history here with Eden, some dark past history, I guess you could mm-hmm. say, and it leads to a very emotional and unnerving evening for Will that has a lot of paranoia and a lot of suspicion involved as to what is actually going on within this home. Let's kick it mm-hmm. off to you first, Brandon. What did you think of The Invitation? Well, first thing I got to say is, and we were kind of hearing some of this as we were offline getting ready to set this up, but a huge thunderstorm is now starting to brew outside uh, of my apartment area right now. So it's kind of appropriate for that to you know, tonally match the tone of this film. So apparently someone wants us to watch this or review this film in the proper way. I just need to make note of that. But if you hear any thunder or anything like that, it's not me getting shot or anything. So don't worry. So just don't worry. But back to the invitation, which for a second I thought starred Tom Hardy and not Logan Marshall Green, who is like his unofficial twin or something. But anyway, (laughs) um, anyway, the invitation. So 
Where do I start with this one? First off, I got to give you credit for how you describe that plot, because if you're really looking forward to this film, the less you know, the better. Yes. It is one of those. Fi- it is definitely one of those films that uh, you go into as blind as possible. I think will potentially have the best impact on you. And it was a good setup as well, because as you mentioned, this is about uh, a couple that ho- that is hosting a dinner party for a lot of their old friends. And the main character will played by Logan Marshall green uh, the the party is being hosted by his ex by his ex wife and her new current husband and yes they do have some history and the history does involve tragedy and just to leave it at that because the movie does use that as a crutch to talk about different forms of struggling with grief uh, which I thought was very interesting in its own right the whole idea of paranoia that you're talking about especially that the Will character is going through it really lends itself very interestingly to these notions of grief that he's going through. And then you've got this new couple of his ex-wife, who play, uh, the character's name of Eden, and her current husband, David. There may or may not be a hidden agenda, well, quote, quotes around that, hidden agenda as to why that they've brought all their friends here for a specific reason. And it gets, invo- it gets involved into ways of almost kind of cult-like, I guess you can say, if you want to leave it at that for as va- being as vague as possible. Uh, there, there's a reason that they're all there, to say the least. And it, and it leads to not only suspicions from the Will character, but it also leads to interesting and different ideas of how you can deal with grief and the notion that maybe potentially in death, you don't have to worry about these things because everything could potentially be all right in the end. And I like the way that this juxtaposition leads to kind of a back and forth between the Will character and and his ex-wife and the remaining guests. There's an interesting jarring, a jarring nature to his paranoia versus these other ways of dealing with grief. And while that back and forth may seem a bit contrived, I think the performances are strong enough to lend itself to that back to, to lend itself thematically to those notions of grief, and I think that back and forth works for me. And I found it kind of pretty riveting for the most part. And to be perfectly honest, I was full on on board with this film. This film is getting very good reviews for the most part, and I was one of the defenders of those positive reviews for this film until the third act comes. Oh and, no. And 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 very very rarely do I say that the film's ending completely destroys and ruins a movie for me. This is one of those times. No. Uh, I I I'm sorry to say, I'm sorry to say, but one of the things I loved about this film is the way that it uses this paranoia and these notions of grief and that juxtaposition added this sense of ambiguity to this film and the not knowing of what was really going on, whether the Will character is actually paranoid or if his suspicions were justified, that was the most frightening moment of this film. The fact that the ending really spells it out for you and gives you the freaking answer insulted my intelligence. And by the end of this film, I was mad. I was absolutely mad. This is the kind of film that, very, as I said, very rarely will an ending ruin a movie for me. And this one did. So by the end of it, even though like 70 to 80% of the movie, I was really, really enjoying it. By the time the end credits rolled, I absolutely hated it. So I I, I hated this film overall. I, I cannot recommend it. I was aggregated by, by it, and it insulted my intelligence. I was very mad. You hear that? 
That isn't the thunderstorm outside your door. That is me being speechless right now. Ah, uh, that because the thunderstorm ended. So apparently, they re- the, the mother nature really wants that silence to be as uh, silent as possible. I guess. Oh man, and I, now I feel bad because this to me, this was actually one of my favorite films I've seen so far this year. Because oh man, yeah, man, I'm telling you, because I'm gonna tell you exactly why now. So I did sure. go into this completely cold. I had no idea what it was about. I it was funny too because I even recommended it to um, uh, JD for us to even <laughs> watch it uh, mm-hmm. for the show, and all I knew was I saw the Rotten Tomato score. I watched the trailer, but I didn't really get much uh, retained from that trailer. So when I watched it, I couldn't even remember what it was about. Mm-hmm. So I'm watching this and I'm seeing it unfold, and I'm saying to myself. Oh, this is like a, uh, a a talking head drama. All right, they're talking about lots of different themes about grief and touching upon fear of death. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm really, really digging this. I'm I'm loving this right now, and I'm also loving the exploration of societal um, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of politeness and how yeah. that is something that you know sometimes you just gotta cut through the bullshit. And just be real with people. And mm-hmm. I I love that exploration. Uh, you know, and I love that I also said it too, for, for lack of a better term, in a very unpolite manner. Excuse me, people. But mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the irony. Right. <laughs> but I, I what I loved about the ending, and I'm ah oh, man, I I'm so so sorry that you feel the way that you do about it. Because what mm. what I loved about it was it was such a masterclass in building suspension and toying with you as an audience member. And I'm sure those were the moments in the film that you really enjoyed. And yes, Mm -hmm. when the third act does go into full-fledged heavy metal, holy crap, this escalated very quickly, you know, with territory. To say the least, yeah. Um, I, I was just taken aback by the intense nature of it all, but not taken aback in a negative way, but more so in a shocked like mouth, hands over my mouth, jaw hitting the floor manner because to me it all made sense and I loved it as a metaphor for what the film was trying to say, especially with the film's final, final moment and how mm-hmm. the storyline implications of what was actually going on, not just for these characters mm-hmm. in this very intimate setting, but on a wider scale. I thought it actually had a great deal of resonance uh, with me, and it gave me a lot to think about after this in terms of what it means to confront our own grief, how we view death as an escape from this earth, and Mm -hmm. how we ultimately stare that down in the face and how we ultimately meet it. I, I... I had a lot more of a takeaway from this, and I just can't believe it. <laughs> and I'm, I'm glad to hear that you did, because it sounds like the movie did work for you as far as what it was trying to do. And those thematic notions that you're talking about, I got all of those things until the ending came. And then for me, it threw it out the window. And it's for me, it's not the, it's not the nature of the of the ending as far as how arduous it gets and how... I guess how exciting it kind of gets, if you want to use that term. For I guess, aesthetically speaking, that's not what bothered me. What bothered me was it took away the the ambiguity that this film had that I really liked. And I think the movie could have aesthetically ended the same way that it did. 
while still retaining that ambiguity and the not knowing of what was truly going on because I would have found that personally much more impactful and much more resonant to those themes that you're talking about and how it relates to the Will character and how his suspicions could have potentially led to those arduous things or could it have been this hidden agenda that these people had? And I think the not knowing is what was most profound for me and the fact that the movie decided to let you know and take you in on it fully and give you the answer, that was the thing that really, really took me out of the film. And it's more disappointing to say because, as I mentioned, I was fully on board for this film for like 75 to 80% of it, and especially because of the performances more than anything else. I thought Logan Marshall Green, who I don't really think of as that great of an actor, at least from what I've seen in the past, I thought he was surprisingly good here. Yeah. And he, and he really... He really held the thread together more than anything else because, as I said, the way that this film kind of goes back and forth with suspicions to false to red herring, back to suspicions again, it could seem very contrived. In fact, uh, just to kind of, I don't want to speak for JD, but JD did get the chance to watch this, and we were talking about it offline. He was not a big fan of this film at all, uh, and he even thought all the stuff that we liked about it in the first two thirds, he thought that was very contrived, and it didn't work for him. Nothing felt natural to him. And I could see where he's coming from while I don't necessarily quite agree with all those I things. I don't either. How can yeah. you say that, especially during the um, scene where they all get together and they all play this game of I want? Mm-hmm. I- I'm listening to the different people state what it is that they want in that moment, whether it mm-hmm. be a memory or whether it be a physical action or it, it, it like I was so riveted by it because for me watching it, it was like watching an intense character drama, which is what I really thought this film was initially mm-hmm. in the beginning. And I thought that this was an exploration of um, this character, Will, his grief ultimately. And I, I did think it was going to go into that territory that you were talking about. So when the third act hit me and I noticed that it was a tension building thriller to that moment of just pure chaos and mayhem, mm-hmm. I, um, it, you know, it's interesting because you even admitted yourself that that's probably what they were exactly going for in this film. The directors yeah. and the, I'm sorry, the director and the writers here. Yeah. And if it worked for me, um, Kudos to them for for achieving what they set out to achieve then. Yeah, yeah. And kind of going back to some of JD's criticisms of this film was, you know, I, 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 I could see why he may have felt that it wasn't quite unnatural as far as the character interactions. The, th- the reason why it kind of worked for me is that there was a sort of awkwardness going around here that I kind of liked because we're, we're, we're being told this story through through Will's eyes. I mean, we're we're we're, we're visualizing and rep- and watching this through the character of Will more than anyone else. And this is someone that is very distant with everyone because he is the one that is most stricken by this tragedy that he and his ex-wife have dealt with and he isn't quite properly coped from it yet. So there is that kind of awkwardness that would lead to a sort of distance which which will make it, I don't know if unnatural is the right word, but I do see where JD is coming from from that. It's just really I, I I can't say any bad things really about this film for the fir- for the first seventy five percent of it. It's only the last act of it that really ruined it for me. And I've always said that a movie should be judged as the sum of its parts. So even if most of the parts are good, I would probably still give it a passing grade. But very rarely, as I said, will a, a bad ending for me ruin the whole experience? And this one 
really did ruin the whole experience, and I just wish it would have retained its ambiguity because that's what I found most frightening. And I found that the opening of the film and the first, like, you know, the beginning, I thought those moments were incredibly awkward and Mm -hmm. probably the worst parts of the film because I'm I'm still trying to figure out the the subtext and the meaning behind... um, the the very very opening moments of the film and the, actually oh wait a minute you know what I just had an epiphany I think I just figured it out but I'm going to talk <laughs> to you about it offline only because I don't want to get into too heavy of spoilers here um, sure so, I, I I think I know what you're talking about but yeah we could definitely talk offline about that getting back to something that um, our listeners can actually relate to though in the opening <laughs> moments of this film you're introduced to all these different characters and first of all. You know, normally when there is a dinner party of any kind, any film, traditionally you want to set it off with the people arriving to the dinner. You get to know them. Then they get Mm -hmm. to the house and there's maybe one, two people inside the house. You get to know them. Then guests start arriving and one by one you get introduced to all these people. When they arrive at the house, everybody's already there. So Mm -hmm. it was like, oh my God, I have to now know the names of all these different characters and... And these are people that already know each other, at least known each other for a while. So uh, we are never introduced to them. We're just kind of thrown right into the middle of it. But yet I was so impressed with how, as the film went on, I actually got to understand all these characters' personalities, their relationships with one another. I I fully understood who these people were. And even Mm. I could not believe that. I knew what kind of a character... Ben was. I knew what kind of a character uh, Miguel was. And even Mm -hmm. though you uh, don't even get a chance to really um, understand what kind of a character he is until later on in the film, Pruitt by John Carroll Lynch. Mm. You know, it's like, it it just blew me away. I mean, obviously I was looking at David the whole time and I was like, yeah, that's my man Dario Naharis from Game of Thrones. (laughs) But other than that, (laughs) I, I, I was getting a kick out of this. And then when the heavy stuff started coming in and the film just started getting darker and darker and the awkwardness turned into dread. Yeah. That's when I started like really getting into this because like you said, the film could have gone one way and it could have gone the other way. Now, if it had gone the way that you were hoping it was going to go, Brendan, I think I still would have liked it. Yeah. I really do. I don't think I would have hated it. And the way that it does end up going, I don't hate it either because I get what the film is trying to say. And I, I, while I do think it was, it's probably, you know, hokey and, you know, you can look at it and you can say, oh, that would never happen. It, well, it's that's not that's not the idea behind it. That's not it. the it's, point. Yeah, it's I mean, more it, the message not, behind it. Yeah, whether or not it can really happen or not is beside the point. And I and I don't. It's it's I don't. It's not something I necessarily don't need to buy into. It could be arduous and strange in its own right. But mm-hmm. uh, if it, if it loses its ambiguity that I found most frightening, that's where it kind of frustrates me. Yeah, and I can see how the ambiguity would give you a whole is he or isn't he type of a vibe with the Will character, mm-hmm. and that can be some very very compelling drama, and you do feel that throughout. So I understand what you mean when you uh, allude to how what happens in the end kind of robs it of those moments. Yes. But what I'm always going to come back to with this film is I'm going to I don't think I'm going to necessarily rewatch this film. And I want to make very clear that my final grade will probably reflect in my answer a little bit better here. Sure. But 
the themes that this film is touching upon here and that just the very notion of death and how death is an answer for grief and for pain and how the survival horror genre, the idea of survival and the willingness and the impulse to want to live is what is used in this film to directly contrast that, Mm -hmm. I thought was brilliant. Yeah, and that was some of the most interesting parts for it. I can agree with that, too. So, with all that said here, then, Brendan, let's toss it off to you. You got any final thoughts on the film? And what grade would you give the invitation as much as I am dreading it? (laughs) Um, Well, um, as I said, I, I, I can't talk really much more about why I didn't like this film. I feel like I've pretty much completely spelled that out, so I'm not going to spend time talking about that again. Instead, I want to talk about some of the other performances in this film, and we already talked about his name quite often in the beginning with uh, John Carroll Lynch, who I love as an actor. He gives my favorite moment of the film. The monologue, and that is right? His story about yes. his wife. And I, that's all I'm going to say. I want to leave that as vague as possible for those who are looking forward to this film and don't want to know as much about it going in. But that was heartbreaking. And his ability as an actor, the way that he is able to bring or perform it with such subtlety, but retain that really heavy dread that is always lingering in this film as well. Um, I, I just I, I have no words for how impressed I was by it. It was it was so heartbreaking. Yet the heartbreaking nature of it and the horror like dread that this film is building, it somehow fit. It all kind of worked. And that balance aesthetically, I think, is also a praise I have to give to the director here, Karen Kusama, whose body of work includes like Jennifer's body and Aeon Flux. <laughs> it's like Wow. And then all of a sudden she comes here. And I think technically, I think this may be her best work as a director from what I have seen of hers. Uh, and and there's a lot of impressing notions like that, whether it be the performances that I think help balance that juxtaposition of its themes about grief and dealing with grief and those notions of death that you're also talking about as a means of escape. And I think all the performances here, Logan Marshall Green and John Carroll Lynch especially, really sell it very well. And I think it's all well-balanced in that long run until the film's climax comes around and just ruins it almost entirely for me. So if it wasn't for, the, if it wasn't for losing the ambiguity of the ending, I could potentially be giving this movie an A-. minus. As it is, I got to give it like a D+. Plus. It really, really upset me, and it really insulted my intelligence by the end. Well, um, hmm. take everything that Brendan just said and flip it in reverse, and you literally get not only my final thoughts, but you also get my final grade, which is going to be that A minus. <laughs> wow, there it is. Wow, I, I'm I'm actually impressed uh, in this moment right now. I am impressed that this moment has occurred between us, Brendan, and I want to just savor that we are literally opposite sides right now it was it, it was bound to happen sometime and it has to come with the territory with that because I we've know. Been, we agree we've agreed uh i mean we've had some slight disagreements on certain films but we've never been this far off on a film yet and honestly you know i kind of like when it happens because it makes the conversation kind of exciting so it was bound to happen at some point man and it just happened to be now yeah so i'm gonna just uh leave it off with final thoughts saying i don't want anybody to necessarily go into this film now and think that 
um, how do I say this? I don't want I don't want anybody to go in this with a closed mind. I want everyone to go in with a, with an open mind. Yeah, go in not knowing as much as you can. Although maybe we alluded to certain things. Who knows? It doesn't well, matter. I feel like we've kept it vague enough, or at least as best as we could. And I want to echo those sentiments that my my grade and my reflection and my thoughts on this film. It's a personal reflection. It's 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 all based on subjectivity, and and you know from an objective standpoint, the movie is for the most part very effective. And I could see why someone, not just like you, but anyone, can go into this film and really enjoy it immensely. I can absolutely see that. So my thoughts are a reflection of just me personally, and me personally, I just couldn't get behind it. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you, man. So, mm-hmm. in any event, that are th- that concludes our thoughts on the invitation. And as always, we would love to hear your feedback on this. So please leave us a comment on the website at insessionfilm.com or hit us up on Facebook or the Twitter. Absolutely, we'd love to hear that feedback, especially if you have seen this film, and we could potentially get some online digital arguments going which would be a lot of fun because <laughs> be i feel like th- i feel like it's going to be a pretty divisive film i think our our juxtapositions in our uh thoughts on this film i don't think that's going to be very different from a lot of the general public so i look forward to seeing those reactions but anyway that should do it for this week's show be sure to like us on facebook at facebook.com slash in session film you can also follow us on the twitter as negs politely called it at in session film and you can also follow us on google plus our username there is in session film and check us out on the youtubes at youtube.com slash in session film you could also email us directly at in session film at gmail.com we try and will respond to every piece of email that we get and if you want to check out some more thoughts on the films that we watch we're active on writing full reviews on our website but for other films that we get a check- chance to watch you can check out our letterbox page at letterbox.com slash in session film Yes, and be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. You may want to check out Jabbercast as well, but also while you're on iTunes, please leave us a review. We would greatly appreciate that. And our podcasts are also syndicated every week at geekcastradio.com and the Lamb Podcast Network. Also, check out our Listen Now page on our website at insessionfilm.com slash listen now. And the In Session Film Podcast is supported by our awesome listeners like you. Once again, if you want to help us, you can go to our website at InSessionFilm.com and click on the bonus content tab in our main menu to hear all of our bonus content for just a small donation of 99 cents. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I'll be doing some bonus content for Everybody Wants Some since I wasn't there for the main show. So look out for that there as well. You can also check out the In Session Film store or just go to InSessionFilm.com slash donate for a general look and all the information and how you can help us. One thing I would highly recommend, though, is to check is to check out everything that we do under one roof on our mobile app for just a one-time fee of $1.99. You can find our app on the Amazon market for Android devices, the Windows 8 phone store for Windows devices, and the Podcast Box app for iOS devices. All those details are on our site at InSessionFilm.com slash apps few things to plug quickly our main show this weekend we will be talking about the latest film from jeremy solonier in green room yes i am very much looking forward to i loved it oh i'm so excited to see to hear that at least because i've been looking forward to this film it just seems like it's so up my alley and going off of that we'll be talking about our top three favorite movies about quote-unquote violence so a lot of good options that we can talk about there which i think should make that a lot of fun. Uh, before we get out of here, though, Negs, any final thoughts on anything before we leave today? 
Um, I do want to just do one shameless plug because it is very, very unique, and that is that um, we just had episode one of Game of Thrones occur this previous uh, Sunday, mm-hmm. and yes. I am going to be uh, reviewing every single episode throughout this season um, on my uh, podcast, the Neg's Best Film Podcast as well, mm-hmm. and it's something that I'm just really excited about because I, as much as I love films, and trust me, huge cinephile over here. Game oh, yeah. of Thrones to me is the most cinematic show on television, and I get a kick out of it every single time <laughs> I check it out. So that's yes. something that's uh, very unique right now, and is only something I'm going to be making an exception for uh, with this particular show. So I just wanted to throw that out there. And as far as another final thought goes, um, you said it before, and I'll just uh, echo it here. Um, Green Room is awesome, man. Oh, gosh. If, if anybody gets a chance uh, before they uh, listen to that upcoming show, be sure to check out Blue Ruin, Jeremy Solnier's yes. uh, previous film before Green Room. So that, good. That film is also kick-ass, man. I have a very nostalgic relationship with Blue Ruin because that was my very first time ever on the Incession Film Podcast was talking about Blue Ruin. That's awesome. I know. And and, and I, on that episode, I called that the blood simple of our generation. And I stand by that. I love that film and I'm looking forward to Green Room. And also, I want to say, uh, these are part of my final thoughts as well, that I don't think people would disagree with you about Game of Thrones being as cinematic as it is. And I feel like that's just the general case with HBO, uh, that pretty much everything that they've been doing uh, that I've at least seen just feels so cinematic in its in its in its authenticity and its aesthetics. And I think Game of Thrones is the most prime example of that. So that'd be very much looking forward to hear uh, your thoughts on Game of Thrones just in general, as well as all the fans out there. And on that note, be sure to check out what Negs has been doing at negsbestthing.com. All of his reviews from a movie side and, and his podcast, all good stuff. Definitely be on the lookout for his work there as well. The last thing that I want to plug is for our next week's extra film. We will be joined by Vince Leo from Quipster, uh, which is going to be a lot of fun to finally talk to him. And we'll be spending the show talking about the Miles Davis biopic, Miles Ahead, which I am so looking forward to. I am a huge Miles Davis fan, and apparently Vince Leo at Quipster is also a big Miles Davis fan. So it should lead to a lot of very fun discussions about jazz music that I very much look forward to. So I can't wait to get into that. But anyway, that should do it for our show this week. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you guys next time on the Incession Film Podcast. <laughs>